0: Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. Long division sure comes in handy.
1: All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If
2: I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. Just say no to family values. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab.
0: And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice.
2: This is Wax Poetic
1: on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM.
2: So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Waxotic. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley.
0: And I'm your other co-host, Kevin Spence. And our guest this afternoon is Maharuna Ghani, who's going to get us started with a poem.
1: Open your arms. Let me spread over your chest. Hold your pulse against breasts. Brush fingers along the hair on your head. Lips near nape we crave connection it was through our eyes we saw the other heard beats exhaled concealed pushed and pulled at unseen places
2: beautiful beautiful took me right there to the (laughs) skin thanks (laughs) what are you reading from
1: I'm reading from The Muslimah Who Fell to Earth, and these are um, personal stories by 21 Canadian Muslim women. It's an anthology published by Mawanzi Publishing House.
2: And this is, is it out already, or is it being launched soon? Or
1: Yes, this book is out. its It's gone through one launch already at SFU, um, which was sold out, and we have a second launch coming up at Banyan Books on September 21st. What time? 7 to 8.30 p.m.
2: And are you the only person reading or are you going to be reading with a bunch of other people who are in the book?
1: Myself will be reading and Asmina Qasim, who is the second person published in this book, from, who's local to Victor- or Vancouver, I mean.
2: Um, now how did you end up being part of this anthology?
1: Um, it's an interesting journey. I was asked to write an article, an op-ed piece against Bill C51 Um, when that was introduced by the Harper government and so I wrote that piece then through various um, channels my article went to the editor of this book and she wrote to me and asked me if I would like to contribute to this book.
2: okay, because I was going to say, that didn't sound like an article against C-51 that we had. No. The
1: personal
0: is the political.
2: The personal is Incredibly metaphoric.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I totally, I I am totally personal as political. (laughs) I'm totally there.
0: It's interesting, there's the line, the other, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which might suggest some, I mean, there's a beautiful sensuality to the poem that runs throughout, but that the other kind of um, pops up as opening up different meanings, perhaps? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that resonate with you?
1: A little bit. Uh, I think it resonates from the point of view that um, contextualizing the other in the frame of where I am at, um, because I've been seen as the other, Mm -hmm. but also looking at being curious uh, around what does that mean and opening, like opening a dialogue around that word, I think is important to do.
2: Mm -hmm. And when you say that the personal is always political for you, has that always been the case or have you come to that place in your writing and your life and your activism?
1: I came to that place. Um, In this uh, collection that's uh, in this book, in this anthology, it's a collection of excerpts that um, I'm working on from a longer book project of mine is Letters to Rumi. So this collection is 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 Letters to Rumi, but a shorter version. Right. And so what I'm going to get to is um, the point I want to make is my journey started when I was eight years old when I was born and raised in Golden and um and i was surrounded by a group of of uh, caucasian kids who called us me and my sister paki and hindu um and there is a piece in here that i describe what happened uh and um so basically that was when i learned that i was different at 8 years old
0: did your parents um how did your parents kind of deal with that? Did they frame it in any particular way or do you remember how they dealt with it?
1: Yes. um, Right away when that happened, my sister and I got away and then they could, because what happened is those kids formed a circle around us and held Mm -hmm. hands. So we managed to get away and we went to our mom and dad and we said, what's a Paki? What's a Hindu? Mm -hmm. And what they did was they they explained what the word um, um, Paki means and that that is derived from like Bak means pure in Urdu and Estan means land so when you put Pakistan together it's pure land and so they said well actually that's a compliment they're they're giving you Uh, they don't realize it that it's actually pure (laughs) and so we just kind of laughed and then um, Hindu they explained to us the whole context of Hinduism and Islam and all these uh, meanings of these labels than words. And that's how, that's what we learned was as part of our identity, who we are and what that meant. But they also, my parents are, are they're very um, straightforward people. And they taught us right at that point, um, they said, okay, you're in this country. So you have rights in this country, so fight for your rights. And that's what they taught us. I was eight years old and my nice. sister was seven. Great
0: parents.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Like when you said, uh, oh, they said it was a compliment. and then, But then that second part, even though that's not how they meant it, like they didn't, you know, try to pass it off as something that was
1: yeah, okay. Or yeah, and I think also uh, the other added part to this story is, um, and this I'm going to contextualize in the sense of, I think when s- some of us experience um, various um, racism aspects or different issues around oppression, that we do also find strategic sort of strategies of humor. I call it like. Mm-hmm. So my mom, she said, the next time um, they call you Paki or Hindu, you turn around and tell them um, um, you you're you're a white monkey and. And I said, wait, mom, there's no such thing as a white monkey. And my mom is born and raised in Africa Nairobi. And so she said, no, I'm from Africa and I'm and I've seen monkeys. And some of those monkeys have white faces and pink, pink bums. So you you call them that. And so we did. The next time we got called that, we said, well, you're a white monkey. And they said exactly that. They said, there's no such thing as white monkeys. And we said, our mom's from Africa. And there are monkeys with white faces and pink bums. And then it it went silent and they didn't know what to do. (laughs) You schooled them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's what happened. One of the pieces in there is that is about that incident. Do you want is that one of the ones you It's not to about
1: the incident but it's more about the Id- the mm-hmm. uh, touching on the identity and the realization of being different. Yeah. Would you like to read sure. that Sure. Sure I can read it. Um I and I I think I want to contextualize a little bit about Letters to Rumi is I start off with a quote from Rumi and I'm responding in a letter to that quote. Right. And then I usually end off with a a poem that responds to that quote too. So this quote starts, this piece is called Recycled Pages. Quote, Do you know what you are? You are a manuscript of a divine letter. You are a mirror reflecting a noble face. This universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself everything that you want, you are already that," End quote. That's by Rumi. Dear Rumi, what if you were caught in a hairball? I awoke to limp fingers. My arm was pinned in an awkward position. I shot up in bed, shook my arm, waited. Is this what paralysis felt like? The fingers became conscious. Then I continued my morning gratitude practice. Vision checked. Hearing checked. Appendages checked. Speech checked. Memory checked. I was 34 when I was told I had MS. That's all I needed, another barrier. I was 8 years old when I learned I was different in Golden, British Columbia. Yep those white kids surrounded my sister and I made fun of our names and yelled Paki and Hindu we broke free ran home and asked our parents about the words now in my forties I still don't quite belong this Rocky Mountain born and raised golden girl who had labels imposed on her or who had chosen labels and tossed them out is unraveling that hairball Rumi, you embody my every experience every one my skin hair veins bones soul senses swallowed you spit out hairball I unravel a WTF attitude. I write letters to you. Love always Meharuna, your light of the moon.
0: <laughs> Gorgeous. I, I love that first line. I woke up in a hairball. That that's wonderful and it really kind of rolls um, out of that doesn't almost in a literal kind of way. It yeah. was really lovely. Thanks. And WTF yeah. and Rumi. Yeah. yeah. That's good.
2: Well, it's kind of, Rumi is kind of filled with WTF moments, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that, yeah. that part about um, that very beautiful, very philosophical line, I'm going to get it, I'm just paraphrasing the one, mm-hmm. the last one in the quote from Rumi where it says that, you know, whatever you are, that is, whatever it is that you want, that is what you are. Is that mm-hmm. what it was?
1: Look inside yourself and everything that you want, you are already
2: that. You are already that. and then you say what if I'm a hairball or what if I'm in the middle of a hairball and it's like it's kind of like oh I was not expecting that juxtaposition
1: (laughs) and how many of us do that right if you think about it we we uh, if we imagined all ours all of ourselves to be hairballs because we all go through a moment in life where we uh, we unravel ourselves Mm -hmm. to figure out okay who am I really Mm -hmm. and and some of that requires a lot of deep um reflection and and Deep consciousness in admitting truths about one's own um, mistakes and failures and, um, yeah, anything, like so many things. And I think that's what a lot of focus around identity is about, about figuring out
2: all of those journeys and paths. So do you feel like you've unraveled that now or...
1: I think uh, the unraveling is an ongoing pursuit. Um, I think I've unraveled some things uh, based on um, some of that past to where I am now, but I believe that that unraveling will continue probably until the day I die.
2: Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Does it ever end? Do you ever get to a point where you're like, okay, it's unraveled. I'm done. (laughs) No, I don't think so. I once got asked,
1: Um, Am I ever going to grow up? This was probably like five, six, seven years ago. And I said, the day I die is the day I grow up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Cool. And um, with Rumi, um, how long has Rumi been part of this journey of unraveling for you?
1: Um, I would say I got introduced to Rumi when I was in my 20s. And um, I think like some people, maybe not everybody, I had my first sort of major crush at the time and then it dissolved and then I was like oh no I have no love in my life who am I what am I doing and and that's how I got introduced to Rumi because he's known as the prophet of love but love is it now now that I'm that was in my 20s and now I'm in my 40s and so to me love now to the in this day and time has changed so it's and the prophet of love is is a deeper love and consciousness, more sacred and spiritual. So back then it was like, oh, love as in dating and finding a soulmate, like that's what was in my mind at the time. And so I got introduced to Rumi and I felt like, oh my goodness, he's speaking to me. Then I completely forgot about that. And then I went through a lot of change in my life um, five five years ago. And um, I liked Rumi's page on Facebook. And then suddenly I would get all these news feeds. And I, this was before I knew what Facebook really did or how it worked. <laughs> and I would get these news feeds every morning. I'm like, oh, my goodness, Rumi speaking to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to write letters on, on my Facebook page. And I started to have a following of people mm-hmm. and uh, and I thought wow is what's happening here and and people would write to me and say uh, they felt like I was speaking to them and then that's when I suddenly realized that that would be my manuscript and I pitched it to the SFU writer studio and that's how I got into the writer studio and this became my manuscript in progress not this not this particular anthology but the whole Letters to Rumi project is my autobiographical journey of identity and belonging. Cool.
2: And you said that um, you took sections of that and uh, submitted them to the anthology. How did you decide what to submit and was that kind of, did you have a a conversation with the editor about that before or?
1: Um, I just had a conversation to explain how, how my writing structure is Mm -hmm. and and to um, see if that worked for them, because, like I started out explaining that the the structure is it's not like it's not just poetry, although I feel it is. Like to me, lyrical prose and the letter format is poetry, but I but I often have to explain it when I get asked. So, so and in terms of choosing what I wanted, I I. That was tough, like I, I, had, um, I had also gone through uh, the Vancouver Manuscript Intensive with Betsy Warland was my mentor and she's still my mentor and so um, this, this um, project has gone through her after TWS and um, so through her I was able to also extract excerpts and, and refine this. Because I had to do a reading after that um, process was over, Mm -hmm. the VMI. We had to do a public reading. So I had to condense it even more. And then I thought, oh, this is going to work for this anthology. So I just submitted um, a series of of short letters to to them and within their word count. (laughs) So it it just worked out.
2: Do you want to give us another one?
1: Sure, I can give another one. Um, I'll give this one this one is, um, instead of, I won't read the whole letter, I'll just read the, the quote and then the poem, that, and I'll explain, so in explaining the context, this this piece is called The Cost of Choice, and um, so the quote from Rumi is, quote, the world's flattery and hypocrisy is a sweet morsel. Eat less of it, for it is full of fire. Its fire is hidden while its taste is manifest, but its smoke becomes visible in the end. end quote. So, this letter is about um, my mentoring a select group of Muslim girls uh, during a, a conference that was um, about race and identities. And what happened in my conversation with these Muslim girls. And, and there, some of them were born in Canada, uh, and some of them were from other parts of the world. Uh, so, they were, so they were immigrants. Um, and what their question to me was, how do I feel about showing skin? And, and there, the age ranges was from 14 to mm-hmm. 16. And so, and this was also, think about, the context was, this was after 9-11. Right. And they really wanted to, they were struggling with, some of them were struggling with wanting to show skin, and some of them were wanting to dress the way they wanted, with long sleeve um, um, blouses, shirts, and long pants, not in shorts. And then some of them were kind of like um, saying, well, this is the way I dress, in their tube tops. I I don't know if you remember, like at Mm -hmm. that time, the Mm -hmm. tube top thing was With really back, in fashion yeah. and then the <laughs> low hanging low riser jeans yeah. and you can see a hint of a thong so that's basically what I've described and these young girls were saying well this is who I am this is the way I dress and my question to them was why are you doing this where is this coming from some of them were saying well this is what boys want and they were expra- explaining their experience in school in in their high school that guys the boys wanted this that's how they got attention and they liked it some of the other girls were saying well I I need to I I I want to dress this way because this is who I am but I wear my head scarf the hijab or I wear long-sleeved and cover-up because my dad and my mother want me this way but when I get to school I take it all off put on my makeup and so this is the whole conversation mm-hmm. and then it goes into um, a discussion around what, you know, at what point is it choice and so the piece, the way I've set it up is the dialogue with the, with the girls but then I'm also revealing my own internal dialogue mm-hmm. and, um, and so what I'll do is end off, I'll, I'll read off the poem instead because the letter is, is a bit long. So I'll start this way. So this is the internal dialogue. I don't know. I get you. I get your parents. I get it. Mixed feelings. Rebellious. The struggle between what's really choice or what's shaped by society. Rumi, perhaps there is something to be said to cover women up but is it at the cost of taking choice away? What is it about women's skin, the sweetest landscape that sends men, men into vengeful missions to claim a plot on our bodies? I'm unable to remove the image of India's daughter brutally torn apart in 2012 with her intestines pulled out left to die. She was blamed for being out late at night with an unrelated man. He was a friend, beaten unconscious. Her lesson, gang rape. Like animals on a hunt, mouths wide opened, sucking on the world's flattery and hypocrisy of the skin's canvas owned by a woman piece by piece, plot by plot, landscape sold, packaged to the highest bidder, morsels swallowed. Tell me, Rumi, when does the smoke become visible?
0: Oh, that's very powerful.
1: Thanks.
2: You're listening Mm to Mehurun Aghani today on Wax Poetic on Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM CFRO. I'm wondering about the role of listening, because before we went on air, we were talking about that a little bit. You have a TEDx talk that that, uh, draws on that. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, A few years ago, I started up something
1: called um, uh, The Art of Listening, Spoken Word Facilitation. I have a very strong belief and a mantra that every human being wants to be seen and heard and to me when each person feels that they've been seen and heard there's a sense of uh, that's how folks some folks find connection and belonging so with that mantra I I um, put forward this idea of a spoken word facilitation so I, I get invited to um, conferences or events or dialogues and all i'm doing is deep listening and the words that resonate the things that i hear from the speakers i'm crafting a poem right on the spot and then i take that and i perform live so everything is done real time and so for tedx i was uh my name was forwarded to to the tedx east band chapter about doing this. They asked me to come in for an audition. I auditioned and, um, and it was high energy, high stakes because I had to come, I, each speaker, there was six speakers and each of them had five minutes and that meant I had to produce really quickly. And so I, I did. I came up with a piece and I, I performed it live and everybody liked it. So then I
2: got asked, I got selected um, to do this for TEDx. Nice. Um, it sounds like you're, you' you were doing um, get the name of it right? the instant poetry a few years ago. In the it? park on typewriters. Yeah. Oh right? yes. Oh, good memory. <laughs> it's sort of like the same thing where you have to like think really fast and come up with a poem. But I mean you have a little bit more material, I guess in this in this case. If people wanted to hear the poem that you came up with from listening to the TEDx talks, the other speakers, where would they find it? What do, what is their website or? It's just uh,
1: TEDxEastFan.com,
2: I believe, or ca. <laughs> and how does the TEDx East fan relate to the TED Talks? Like, what's the? Is it a, a response to them? Is it like an alternative to it? Is it an underground version?
1: I believe it's uh, from my understanding. Um, TEDx um, started as as another alternative um, to TED. So Ted is the um, main um, sort of... The man. The man. Ted's the man. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there should be a woman's name on there. I don't know. Well, there are some. There's yeah, like there Anna are talks. And, there yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and Ted is actually pretty expensive to go to. I, I don't know if you know about this. Like, I have some... Um, friends who are security who have worked it and they've said tickets are from 8000 to yeah. $10,000 and I'm kind of like oh my god that's kind of exclusive and I feel it doesn't include everybody
2: that's kind of an understatement <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> 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 totally
1: from my understanding I could be totally wrong so nobody quote me on this but as far as I understood is that TEDx is an alternative that got started so that people can attend these and they're a little more affordable um to to um to participate and hear the speakers
0: and there might be even more of a diversity of voices i think nardwar has a tedx talk (laughs) (laughs) i mean nardwar like you know people are spitting on him at concerts the evaporators punk rock band and then he's giving this ted talk about TEDx. Yeah. Right. And it just Ted- seems that yeah. like it's way more open to a lot of different types of voices.
2: Yeah. Well and it's it's also what you're doing um with Rumi and the letters, right? You're listening to Rumi and then responding to that and, and conversation. It sounds like conversation is important to you.
1: Yeah, it is. And and what you mentioned about um what I was doing before was the Vancouver Pop Up Poets. And actually, because I was doing that on the on the street and in different um, locations, that actually is what made me think of. That's what cre- was the impetus, I guess, that created the art of listening for me. So it, I took that um, and and created um, this format and moved it forward, and and I get um, paid for it. But nice. TEDx is not paying me. Living <laughs> the <That> dream,
2: <laughs> huh? Living the dream.
1: It yeah. is totally. It's it is the thing that I love the most. It's my passion. I love doing that. it's and a
0: beautiful evolution of an idea.
1: Yeah, and if you think about it, like, and the reason I started Vancouver Papa Poetry and even so, even this art of listening, I said it's about the mantra for me is everyone wants to be seen and heard. But also, if we if we look at the um, the sort of the movement or the history of poetry, in my mind, it started out on the street. It started out in courts and in 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 different um, sort of civilizations, at the very grassroots level, and it was the poets that were elevated. It was the poets that were brought in by the you know royalty or the Mughal ar- you know, Mughal royalty or the kings and queens to come in and help make decisions so i to me it was the poets that were were re- revered and i feel we've in some way we've lost that um in today's society and world in because we're in I i don't know if we want if we're in a rush or what's going on i don't know why so for me that's why i took poetry back to the street because i felt that's where we could bring this art and practice alive again and and then going into this platform where now it's part of 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 dialogues or conferences or i even had um uh tamara vrooman the ceo of van city when she heard me do this at an event where she was part of the panel she said oh can you do this as at a street strategic planning session and i said yes I said anywhere where there are words yeah i can do it so that's (laughs) a dream dream for any poet i think is just give me words and then let's do it right yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: but you're you're asking why poetry isn't revered perhaps it's because that listening and deep listening just isn't an essential part of our lives anymore or Mm -hmm. an essential part of our culture so it's beautiful that you're bringing poetry in with this emphasis on the deep listening Mm -hmm.
2: Well, we have no more time to listen or converse today. Our 30 minutes is up. It goes so fast. So tell people again that uh, the launch for the Muslimah Who Fell is on September 21st from 7 to 8:30 at Banyan Books on Fourth Street. It's free. Thank you very much for being our guest today, Maruna. Mm -hmm. Thank Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I'm Pam Bentley.
0: I'm Kevin Spence.